Hello, and welcome back to The Catch. My name is Michael Adams. I'm joined by my co-host, John Rahimi, today. John, how's it going? So good. It's monsooning outside in the middle of this, so if you hear thunder or lightning or me screaming, that's why. Honestly, I'm kind of jealous of you. We haven't had rain in like a week and a half down here, so if you could share a little bit of that. I mean, I'm surrounded by cornfields. We really need the rain, to be completely honest. We need it a lot more than you, so sound Okay. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was talking to someone the other day. I was telling them I used to be terrified like terrified of thunderstorms and rain in general like if lightning happened or i heard thunder crying screaming hiding myself in the covers i was a very scared child like when i was at school and there was rain or thunderstorms i was like it's all over i'm gonna start crying in the middle of school everybody's gonna make fun of me it's gonna be terrible so i've grown out of that thank god yeah, I, you told me a story that happened when you were like 18 right <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Middle of a school at college. <laughs> it was rough. No, honestly, I don't really understand that to be completely honest cuz honestly, it's really relaxing to me. Like I sleep infinitely better when it's storming. Like I need that background noise. I need to hear the thunder. I need to hear the lightning. I've only been woken up in the middle of the night once by thunder and lightning. It was cuz it thundered and my entire bed literally shook. Oh my. See, that's terrifying, terrifying. man. That I was think- terrifying. I always associated like big thunderstorms with tornadoes. I was like, okay, if there's a big thunderstorm, tornado, therefore dead, which was kind of a wild thing to think because like you live in Chicago, there's not many tornadoes that come here. So kind of not a big deal. But I mean, when you're a kid, everything is kind of a big deal, but whatever. It's kind of opposite too, because where I'm from, tornadoes are very common. (laughs) And like my brother's house has been destroyed by a tornado. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it was I like uh, I think it was 2013. There was a big storm that came through and like knocked out the entire town of Washington, Illinois. Like, oh no, that was more recent than that. It. I I think it was 2013 because I was in high school still. I think oh, I was really? like, a sophomore in high school. Yeah, it was before my brother had kids too. Oh, so. I was, okay. But yeah, just I remember that though. Yeah, completely wrecked the entire town, and it, the tornado literally touched down probably a hundred yards before my brother's house, like. Literally, like, barely, barely touched down before it hit him. But, I mean, we went over there immediately after, and there was nothing, nothing left. Like, completely the entire town just on the ground. It was, honestly, it was devastating. It was kind of terrifying. Like, you see it in the movies, like, Twister or whatever all those movies are. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, like, they're over, like, dramatizing it. And then, like, you get it, and you're like, oh, no, like, this is super serious. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking Just lightning right now. That's freaking terrifying dude <laughs> so i'm over it it's just yeah i that, if i saw that as a kid i would have gosh i would like peed my pants or something that's terrible yeah i think my brother and his wife are they're good now but i know for the first couple of big storms that came back to the area they were extra precautious they're like yeah we're going downstairs even if we have a bunker morning. it's made out of metal we're fine <laughs> honestly though like you just never know like there are i think there was only like one or two people who actually uh, lost their life in it but Still, I mean, it was close enough. I think my sister-in-law like got to the basement like as the house got hit by the tornado. So it was just like a matter of seconds and that outcome could have been infinitely different. And my brother wasn't even home. He was driving home from work and literally saw this thing touching down in his town. Was, couldn't get a hold of his wife. Was just going 100 miles an hour trying to get there. That's freaking nuts. Have you actually, okay, that's a cool thing. Have you ever driven and seen a tornado while you're driving? Yeah, so I was a kid actually again and I'm driving home. My brother has a baseball game 
And suddenly, like, in the middle of this game, everyone starts screaming. Everyone's like, go home, everyone go home, <laughs> tornado, tornado. We're like, yeah, whatever. Like, we can kind of take our time. My family's, like, very laid back about those kinds of things where, like, the people who would go, like, want to go see the tornado rather than, like, run from it, which is a terrible thing to do. Like, you don't know how often my brothers and I and my dad get yelled at by my mom, like, get in the house. You can't stay out there and watch the storm. Like, you need to come in. Like, terrible idea. But we were driving home from a from a baseball game, and there was a tornado following us down the road. That's Yeah, we were in um, – we were on our way to Colorado when I was – this was after freshman year in high school. But I was in the front seat with my brother, my oldest brother, and I had kind of fallen asleep. And uh, I woke up, and there was just, like, you know, dark skies to your right. And kind of like we turned the radio on like the – new station and it was like tornado is imminent in the area that you're in i was like uh what i kind of like, like looked in the the side mirror and you just kind of see like this you know tornado cloud like in the distance kind of kind of forming and stuff you're like oh no and i was like bad florida go faster there's like no one on the road it was great we were we were flying and also coincidentally that's when i got into mumford and sons on that road trip so it all kind of worked out great that was a monumentous trip for you then oh for sure yeah i went whitewater rafting got into mumford and sons finished the hunger games it was great Impressive. Yeah. Well, now that we've proven to everyone that we are avid weather experts, we can yeah. be local weathermen any day that we want. We just don't want to. That's why we don't. Um, might as well move on to our topic today. That might have been the smoothest transition of all time. Nah. As, as we like to point out every time. <laughs> Still figuring that part out. Thing is, is we're just very authentic with our banter. We don't plan it out. You know, we just get on here. We start riffing. That's, I think that's better that way. Yeah, folks, listen, every time we start a podcast, it starts with, so I have no banter. We have nothing to talk about. And then we just start talking. And then we talk and talk. And then we get accused mainly by my mother. Do you guys just make things up? And I was like, no, mom, we don't make things up, okay? We actually talk about what's going on. No, we're just very interesting people. Yeah, super interesting people. But again, so topic today, this is something, John, I brought to your attention a couple of weeks ago. The last month I've got weirdly into TED Talks, like weirdly into TED Talks. Like I'm a member of the TED Talk website now and I get recommendations which like videos I would like based on my other watchings. There's a membership program? Well, I mean it's free. It's just like you sign up. Oh, okay. It's nothing like I'm not I'm definitely not paying for it, no. A platinum um, gold member or something. <laughs> but so I've gotten really into TED Talks. And the reason this is is because I stumbled upon my very first one that I really watched in depth. Like I've watched them before, but the one that really hit me the first time was about a month ago. And it's on this idea of imposter syndrome. Hmm. And I've been kind of riffing with it for about two to three weeks after I watched it and just taking it to heart because it really, I really identified with what the guy was talking about. And just through this riffing, like I kind of found a relation to imposter syndrome within the Catholic life, within the Christian life. Hmm. I think it's worthwhile to talk about maybe there's other people out there who have a similar mindset to me. Maybe there's not and this will be a waste, but I think there are. Yeah, there's probably someone out there. So what what is imposter syndrome? How do we define this? Yeah, so there's a couple different definitions. Um, I'll read the one directly off of Wikipedia, or maybe I won't because I literally just exited out of my Google Chrome. I forgot. Oh, dang it. Um, but essentially what imposter syndrome is, is uh, this idea that you are inadequate to be in the position that you are. Um, that one day somebody's going to come knocking on the door with a cl- like a clipboard and be like, Oh, Michael Adams, bank, 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 bank. You don't deserve to be here. Mm. Thank you for your trial. You can go back to where you started. Like, mm. it's essentially being in this position and feeling like a fraud. Um, yeah. 
like it's often described like the professional world, like entrepreneurs or CEOs. Uh, for example, the guy that I first watched talk about this, he was a young entrepreneur from Australia and he went to this worldwide competition. Um, and he said he was talking to a couple of the more experienced people who were like 65. And at the time he's like 30 or like in his early thirties. And he kind of looked at them and he goes, you know, honestly, like, I don't think I belong here. Like, I don't think I deserve to be here. Um, and in response, the older men were also like, you know what? Like, we feel the exact same way too. He's like, how could you feel that way? Like, you've been doing this for 40 years. Like, your company has 30,000 people. Like, you are very obviously successful. Yeah. How do you feel like an imposter? How do you feel like a fraud? Like, you have nothing to feel fraudulent about. Um, and I think oftentimes in the Christian lifestyle, we think of the same thing. It's this idea of like, I'm a hypocrite. Or like, here are the things that I, all the things that I do wrong. Like, I'm an imposter. I'm not really, like, I'm not a real Christian. Like, I don't live it out the way I'm supposed to. And we kind of turn it in on ourselves and kind of self-deprecate our own faith and kind of invalidate our own faith to some degree. Yeah, that happens. The more I think about it, I think this happens with a lot of people a lot of the time. Um Bigger, like in big ways and small ways, it's not always like a huge deal where everything becomes like a huge crisis of faith. But um, I think oftentimes, probably in terms of like discernment, whether it's like vocation uh, to you know, priesthood, religious life, whatever, or um, when you're dating someone, discerning marriage with them, uh, I'd imagine you're probably there's times when you think like, oh, you know. I'm not good enough for this person. I kind of suck. I need to like get out of here and, and like end it because they, I don't deserve, you know, this goodness or, you know, whatever. Um, I know I've definitely felt that way at points during um, when I was discerning going to seminary, even just in the past year, like those, those feelings crop up. You're like, I shouldn't be here. Like, who am I to do this? You know, I need to get out of here. There's all these like list of problems. Here's like my, you know, laundry list of problems that, that show me that I shouldn't be here. So let me get out of here. Um, yeah, it's a very real feeling. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this idea of just being unworthy kind of overtakes us. And I do want to point out like imposter syndrome itself is not like a purely bad thing. Like I personally like think imposter syndrome can be a very good thing. Um, but it has a very dangerous edge where if you turn it on one side and become self-deprecative of I'm not worthy of love, I'm not, I'm not good enough, and you start to kind of turn it back on yourself, it can be very dangerous. Um, but at the same time, it can be somewhat motivational, I've found. Um, for me, like, I have a very, like, this personality type of mind is like, I just never like to settle. I'm always like, what's the next best thing? Like, how can I improve? How can I get better? Um, which can also be dangerous if you let that overtake you. Mm -hmm. um, but kind of this idea that I have is like, okay, maybe I don't deserve it, but I have it, and it's here. So what am I going to do about it? Like, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do with it? And it's like, okay, maybe I am unworthy, but how can I like become more worthy? Like, how can I become closer to like what I'm supposed to be? Um, like my image of this is really like God's love, like something that mm -hmm. for a very long time I struggled with. Like, I don't deserve God's love for the way that I live my life. Like mm -hmm. I am not the perfect Christian. So like, why do I deserve this? Like, did he not see me fall? last week did he not see like my sin five years ago like yeah. i'm unworthy of this and it's like okay yeah maybe maybe you are unworthy but that's okay you're here the gift is still yours like it doesn't change like he's not taking that gift away so it's a motivation of like okay 
what are you going to do now that you have that? Um, and a quote that I like to bring up too is from Padre Pio. Um, and it's, you don't have to be worthy. You only have to be willing. Um, which I found to be like very motivating within my own life and like both vocationally of like whether you deserve to be with someone or like, you know, we've even talked to priests who like we are in awe of and been like, wow, like you are such an inspiration. You have affected my life so much. And then they kind of turn it back on themselves and be like, you know, I'm, I'm not that great. You guys know that. Right. And like in our mind, they're perfect, but in there, they're like, I'm not, I'm not who you think I am. And so I think you can see this kind of play out throughout various points of lives, various vocations. And again, it's not this idea that you don't have to be worthy. You don't have to be perfect. It's the idea of you just have to be willing. Yeah. I'm reminded of um, that quote you just said in, in the old Testament, the whole story of, of Israel is one of um, faithfulness and unfaithfulness. Like that's kind of the general theme throughout the old Testament is God is faithful to his people uh, and it, they kind of ebb and flow between faithful and unfaithful. Right. Um, and they're not worthy really in any stretch of the imagination. Um, like they're, they're good. Uh, and it says that like the people that God chooses, you know, Noah was a righteous man. So-and-so was a righteous person. Yada, yada. Okay. Um, and up to the old, up to the new Testament, you find Joseph, like Joseph was a righteous man. Uh, but just because you're righteous doesn't mean you're necessarily like worthy of like this great, you know, call that, that God gives. Um, but he'll use you anyway. And so the measure then is, okay, I'm not worthy of this. I didn't do anything really. Like Israel, like no, Abraham didn't do anything to merit to be the father of, you know, the nations. Um, Joseph didn't do anything. Mary didn't do anything. <laughs> like she just was. Uh, she didn't deserve to be immaculately conceived and do anything, but God still chooses that freely. And then the, you know, the next step or whatever is to, to live faithfully to that call that you've been given and to not really worry about it. And the other thing I come back to is that it's about kind of um, reverence and gratitude are kind of two words that I think of, of when we start to, cause it's about like comparison. Like if I start to feel unworthy, it's cause I'm looking at someone else and thinking like that person is more worthy than I am to be doing what I'm doing. Like I look at a guy who's holier than I am. Or um, if you're like dating, like I would do this all the time when I was younger, but like this girl is too good for me. I shouldn't be dating her. Okay. But instead of like comparing, I was reading something and the, the author says like, instead of despairing over it, think it is good that the other is as they are. It's good that they are different and that they have these qualities that are not the same as mine. Um, but oftentimes we don't do that. We go like, oh, I, I should be like that. And therefore I'm an imposter for even trying to be like that because I'm not. And I'm never going to be. So of course you're never going to be the other person. The only other person you can ever transform into is Christ. And that requires Christ himself to do that in you. So like we need to stop kind of comparing and be more reverent and grateful for the good of the other person that we're looking at and avoid this kind of despairing attitude that comes with it. Exactly. And on the flip side of that too, the reason like I do side with the imposter syndrome is there are certain people and like I've even experienced this in my own mindset and like I've seen it in others though where it's like, I'm too good for this. Like I'm too good for this position or I'm too good for this person or, mm. you know, I'm above X, Y, Z vocation. 
and you get into like this superiority mindset of like, I am like this top dog. I'm really doing it great. Like I deserve all of this. And I think that's honestly almost more dangerous because that's where you can kind of get relaxed. Like you think of like athletes and like the most successful athletes are the ones who are like never like truly satisfied with like their current self. It's like, I always want to improve myself. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing with like the imposter syndrome. Like I'd rather err on that side and have that motivation to grow and like have the motivation, like grow into those shoes, as I say, rather than be like, Oh, I'm good enough. Cause as soon as you say that, that's where the devil can creep in. That's where temptation can creep in. And that's where like the falls can fall back in and come back to you. Yeah. I think that's again, where, excuse me, where reverence comes in because it's got to start with God. If we don't have reverence for God, which means that we don't, um, stand before him and recognize our poverty in front of him, that he is God and I am not, then we're going to fall into that easy trap of like, look at how good I am. You know, I don't really need any of this stuff. I can just kind of be as I am. and I'm fine. Uh, that is the, yeah, one of the most dangerous temptations to uh, succumb to because you're not a Christian then like flat out. Like if you're, if I don't need a savior, if I'm fine without God, then you're not a Christian. <laughs> like that's just the way it is. Um, so we need to check ourselves constantly. And it's not just like a, Oh, I believe in God. It's a, I am nothing without him. Um, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you can't like do anything. You're not like really, you have no worth or whatever. You have no dignity. That's not what I'm saying, but that you have uh, a great value in his eyes and he wants to give you everything. So you're going to now, okay, I will receive everything because you know, as God is your shepherd, the sheep follows. And in fact, in Psalm 23, it talks about like his rod and his staff are comforting. Like in what world is a rod and staff comforting? You kind of think of like, he's going to beat me with that thing. It's like, no, he's not going to beat you with it. He's going to draw you back to himself so that he can provide for you. So it's standing in front of God every day, every morning, every night, and recognizing that I need to receive from him, that he is God and I am not. Um, and that's so I can continue to grow. And I don't get complacent. Yeah, and we always hear the comparisons. And maybe you've heard this about yourself. I've heard it about myself before. Um, you know, you're a hypocrite. Like you're a Christian or you're a Catholic. Like you're a hypocrite. Oh, like, all the time. For your actions or like for what you're trying to do. Um, like, oh, you're a hypocrite. Don't you remember what you did a couple of years ago? Like, don't you remember the life you were living a couple of years ago? How can you, like, what gives you the right to do what you're doing right now? Yeah. Um, and this is kind of the imposter syndrome, like manifested. It's like somebody is literally calling you a fraud <laughs> or Lily is looking at you and saying, you are yeah. not who you say you are. Um, and that's a struggle that a lot of us, I think, face, especially in like the secular world, world right now with a lot of different identities getting thrown at Catholics, a lot of different identities getting thrown at Christians. I'm getting John riled up right now. So get ready for some fiery hot takes. Um, but just like you said, like we are not perfect. And it's good that we are not perfect. I, I, I read this in, um, I always quote him, but Jacques Philippe's uh, book yeah. about uh, inner peace. Um, and in this book, it talks about this idea of like, we are not perfect and that is a good thing. Hmm. Like, if we were perfect, like you said, we would have no need for a savior. We would have no need for a God. Yeah. These self-righteous, independent jerks who just didn't need anyone. It's like, it is a good thing that we are not perfect. Like we need God desperately. And it's this idea of just the pedestal that we hold ourselves against. Like 
I think myself, like I'm a perfectionist. I know you are as well. It's like, I'm an imposter. I am a hypocrite because I do know what I've done. And my sin is blatant. It is ugly. My past is ugly. I know the things. So therefore I am an imposter. Therefore I am a fraud. Therefore the people who say I'm a hypocrite are correct. And balancing that mindset of fighting that and knowing that, yeah, we're all hypocrites. Everyone's a hypocrite. The only person not to be hypocrite is Jesus. Like, yeah, so much going through my head right now. Um, My director on my eight day retreat told me that the more we try to like keep our, you know, our garment stainless, um, because one of the things that they say at baptisms, if you've ever been to one, uh, they'll tell you or they'll tell the parents, you know, of the child talking to the child, um, you know, keep this garment spotless until the day that uh, you reach heaven. I don't know the exact wording, but basically until you get to Christ um, in heaven. And the more like we antagonize being like, I need to keep everything perfect. Like everything's got to be spotless. The more we end up staining our, our garment. Um, that doesn't mean like, don't try to keep it stainless. I'm just saying like, the more we freak out about trying to keep everything like perfect, it ends up not going very well. Um, but I think you're right. The whole, uh, you know, you're a hypocrite. Like you did this. Who are you to, to say that? We see this all the time now with our culture, this whole, cancel culture i was ranting about this the other day literally this this has got to stop this is so absurd that we think that oh this person did something in their past and yeah granted it's some of the stuff that comes out is horrible and awful okay like a really depraved thing it's like okay yeah that's bad um but some of the things like someone made a comment one time or posted a dumb video it's like okay why do we need to then fire them like blackball them ruin their whole lives, like give them death. Unbelievable stuff just because they did one thing wrong that we didn't really like. It's like mercy people for goodness sake, mercy. And also like, um, who are you comparing them to? <laughs> like I haven't heard anything that bad. Uh, it's like, okay, fine. But, uh, the other point I just want to make was that, yeah, the only person we can compare ourselves to, or the only person that's worth comparing ourselves to is God. Because when we compare ourselves to God, we recognize the great gap the great distance between he and I so that I can look and be like, okay, I now see how horrible my sin is. And I reckon in the goodness of God, not to my own like detriment, but just being like, my sin is so bad because God is so good. And that motivates you then to do and choose the good to convert and to go that way, not to get stuck in the sin and be like, that was so horrible. Oh my gosh, look how bad it is. I need to stare at it and just, you know, scrutinize over how bad it was, but to look at God and then to move towards him and say like, okay, he is so good. That's where I'm, I'm headed now. And that is behind me. Uh, the thing I was talking to our, our good friend, David uh, McCormick about Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia and Aslan is talking to Edmund after Edmund has betrayed his family and kind of turned over several creatures in Narnia to the white witch. And they, they rescue him. They bring him back. Aslan has a conversation one-on-one with him. And you kind of assume there's a, there's a reconciliation there. He brings him down to his family. And Aslan just simply says, uh, what's done is done. There's no need to talk to Edmund of what has passed. And he lets it go. And they don't bring it up to him. They just hug him. They embrace him. And they welcome him back into the family. And I was like, holy dude, like that's, that's what this is about. Like, okay, he recognized how bad that was. Um, and he could feel like an imposter trying to even join up with that army again. But he doesn't. He's like, I've been forgiven. I've been received back in let's move forward. And they're like, yeah, amen. Let's move forward. That's beautiful. 
Yeah, again, if we're not doing that, we're ignoring the entire possibility that humans can grow, humans can change. And if you're saying that humans can't grow and they can't change, then that's just a very sad life that you have for yourself then because essentially you're saying that you can't grow and change. I mean, if you're looking at someone and saying, hey, you can't grow, your past defines you, what are you saying about yourself then too? Like what gives you the excuse? Like why are you not then also equally judged? Um, Just this idea of just bouncing. I want to bring up a point that you said earlier, this idea of like focusing on it. Like the more Mm -hmm. you focus on the garment, the more you stain it. And it reminded me of like a server, like when you're serving tables and like you're serving drinks specifically. Oh, dude. The way that you're supposed to serve a drink, you're not supposed to look at the cup. Everyone's tempted. You're supposed to stare at the cup and walk to the table. When you stare at the cup, you spill. The way to keep it balanced is to look directly ahead of where you're walking. Like, you want to hear an embarrassing story? Of course. So I was a waiter for two years at a pizza pub. And uh, I was always terrified of doing like the drink thing, you know, put on put, like six drinks on a, on a little round platter and carry it. I was always amazed people could do this because it's like heavy and I'm a little twig, so I can't really carry a whole lot, but they're like, yeah, you know, go for it. It's fine. So I went out to do it and I was like, just shaking, shaking in my boots and you're going up and you're going to give the drink to the person. And I was, I didn't do what you just said. And I was staring at the drinks and I just like, you know, was trying to be as careful as possible, just knocked over a cup of Sprite and then it knocked over the cup of Coke. And then the cup of like Dr. Pepper and it all over me and the floor. I didn't get on anyone on the table. Thank God. But it was all over. And it was so embarrassing. It's a small restaurant. And I was just mortified. But this is what happens when you, yeah, when you get too like focused on doing it right. You screw up. Yep. Exactly. There's no bueno. And again, it's kind of, you know, where do these thoughts come from too? these, these temptations to fall into this self-deprecative unworthiness or like believing the thoughts that people say about you? Because as a Christian, there are almost certainly multiple people in your life who have either called you explicitly or thought in their head, you are a hypocrite. Um, So like, where do these thoughts come from? Like, where do we fall into them? And what do we do in response? There's a quote I read from uh, Teresa Lisieux. Actually, no, it's not Teresa Lisieux. It's Teresa of Avila. Joke's on me. Um, It's a little bit longer, so uh, bear with me. She says, the devil will try to upset you by accusing you of being unworthy of the blessings that you have received. Simply remain cheerful and do your best to ignore the devil's nagging. If need be, even laugh at the absurdity of the situation. Satan, the epitome of sin himself, accuses you of unworthiness. Sorry, got really small. When the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of of his future. I like that last line. Yeah, that was pretty baller last night. I got got to say it was bolder than all red too on the quote. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's really good because um right the devil's the accuser and he's the one who's going to look back and try to get you to focus on even in the short term. I was just thinking about this as you we were talking, but like uh when we and we've talked about this before a lot too. Um and I'm realizing how much I struggle with it even though I thought I didn't um when you fall into sin how easy it is to get stuck on like that one like the, you know the day before you know if i like example I, I sinned yesterday and like now today not even 24 hours later you're like oh why did i do that thing why did i do that and you're just so focused on it and then like i don't want to move past it and even then like becomes like oh you can't you can't pray to god you can't talk to him he doesn't want to talk to you like who are you to talk to god um yeah <laughs> just nodding his head aggressively like a like crazy dolphin 
Um, but it's, it's such a difficult thing to like, he's reminding you of your past. He's just kind of prodding you with that. Like, Hey, you did this thing. He doesn't want to talk to you. Don't do it. Like be stuck here. Um, and there's just really, there's no, I think it's a lack of hope in God that he would offer forgiveness and like a, a hope for my own kind of conversion or salvation. Like I'm never going to get better. It just, it's despair. It's opposite of hope. And yeah, like we need to, I think what St. Teresa is saying there, remind the devil of his future, which is to get freaking crushed under Jesus. So and he's, that's happened. Like he's done that. We need to remind ourselves that that's happened in history. This has happened and it's happening as, as we move towards the end of time. So yeah, I mean, that's, it's difficult. This is like the epitome of the dangerous side of imposter syndrome. Like, again, I'm a big advocate that the imposter syndrome thing can be a very beautiful and great thing. I think it's a good thing in my mind, but this is where it gets really dangerous. This idea of like, oh, I'm an imposter before God. Therefore, I shouldn't talk to him. Therefore, I should not talk about him. Therefore, I should definitely not talk to my friends about him and try to spread his word. Like, Mm -hmm. how can I talk to my friends about these issues when they've seen all the idiot things I've done in my life or they know all of my past mistakes? Like, who am I to bring up? all these virtues and morals when they've seen me have the exact opposite and practice the exact opposite. I know in confession a couple of years ago, I remember I confessed, I was like, honestly, like just being a hypocrite and not holding my friends accountable, like saying one thing and doing the other, or really having a hard time having these conversations and not feeling like I deserve to like call them out. Um, Mm -hmm. And the priest is like, yeah, which, which one of you doesn't do that though? Like, which person tells somebody, Hey, you should do this and does the opposite. Like everyone does that. Like it's the whole idea of when, uh, I forget who it is, but all, I think it's the, is it the Pharisees who are going to throw the stone at the woman? And Jesus is like, mm-hmm. okay, let the first of you without sin be the one to cast the first stone. Yeah. And all of them are like, uh, well, I can't do that anymore. It's that same idea of just, who are we, you know, who are we to judge that? Yep. No, that's, that's a really good example. It's true though. And this is the whole issue of, again, our culture. We don't, we've kind of, like, at least they, they, they had some sense of like themselves and some sense of shame. I, it seems like we've lost that. Cause even now, like you could say that, like, who are you? And they were like, I don't care. I'll turn to you and throw the stone at your face. Like people yeah. just don't even care. And it's unreal. I, Bishop Barron just put a video out actually. And I was, I was really moved by it. Cause he just kind of in a very fatherly really cool to see it like just say like to the you know straight at the camera not angry but just like really as he says like a cry of the heart he was like cut it out this like vitriol and hatred and anger towards everyone when like it doesn't you, they don't say exactly what you want or they don't do the what the way do things the way you want them to do them or they did something in the past whatever it cut it out it's gotta stop it's just it's not it's not healthy it's not good and it fosters more and more of this imposter syndrome and, and despairing attitude and in our lives and in the lives of others. So, you know, if we want to, we want to progress in the Christian life, it's got to be a healthy, like, you know, I know where God is. I know where I am. I know my fallenness and my weakness, but I know God's strength and goodness. So like St. Paul, when I'm weak, I am strong. Like we find the strength in being weak. So I think that's kind of like a, a direction to move towards. Yep. And oftentimes when we are at like those rock bottoms, like we are at those really far lows, like, that's often where we also find Christ. Um, yeah. You know, it's all the whole idea of like the 99, like he goes to find the one lost, like he searches for the lost sheep. It's like, 
Doesn't matter when you find him. Doesn't matter when he finds you. Just matters that he got you. And it's kind of one of the closing points I want to make too is I want to talk about the positive side of imposter syndrome because I know we've talked a lot about the negative and how dangerous it can be. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do want to touch on the positive side on it that I've examined, see what you think about it. Um, and it kind of relates to this idea of just continual conversion. Um, there's that whole dangerous idea that you have one day this light from God shines down and he speaks to you in this bold voice and your life is forever perfect and different after that. It's like, cool, maybe that happened to you. I can almost guarantee it didn't. But um, not to accuse anyone of not having real experiences like that um but this idea of conversion is not singular conversion in itself is a lifelong thing um and imposter syndrome oftentimes can motivate that conversion and motivate yourself being okay with it being a process Mm. um i mean i wrote earlier about this fixed verse growth mindset um, and I, i know we've talked about me podcasting on this eventually this idea of just knowing like yeah i have messed up and like yeah, I had a big, maybe I did have a big moment, but then I fell. Okay, maybe I am unworthy. Maybe I am undeserving. Maybe I don't belong here. Maybe I don't deserve God's love because it's a perfect gift and I'm very imperfect. But again, I'm here. Like, what can I do? Like, what can I do to become closer? What can I do to become more like him? I can't become perfect, but what can I do to further that goal? What can I do to achieve that goal of holiness? And then imposter syndrome can be very motivating to just know, like, I'm not there yet, but where is the answer? Like, I need to go find the answer of how to get there. Like, I need to go out, need to research, I need to read, I need to grow, I need to be constantly challenging myself. I can't get complacent in this, otherwise I'll never reach that goal. Which, to me, is the kind of the good side of imposter syndrome. It's this underlying motivation to constantly challenge yourself and to constantly grow within your faith, rather than growing complacent, rather than just staying you know what, I'll deal with that eventually. It's not my problem right now. Or, you know what, I think I'm doing everything I need to do right now. Like, I'm going to mass, I pray in the morning, like, I'm good. Like, that's all God really wants out of me. It's like, no, God always wants more. Like, he always wants more. He's always calling us to the deep. This is just this motivating force, this motivating factor with that can play on in our lives. Yeah, that's, that's it. And it's not, um, like, God gives us everything, I think the Eucharist, but it doesn't look like everything. It looks very small and weak and, 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 and insignificant. But in reality, it's his like totality, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Um, and we kind of receive it like, oh yeah, nice. got, got Jesus today. But it's like not really like a big deal, but in return, he wants us to receive him with everything and to, you know, give our whole selves. Um, and this conversion, it doesn't have to be like, and the challenge, I think, doesn't have to be, um, when we say, you know, challenge yourself to grow or like um, accept the next challenge. It doesn't have to be this super big thing. Um, the challenge of just doing what ought to be done each day is like, that's conversion enough a lot of the times. Like, it doesn't always look like this big, like, I'm now undertaking this new project. I'm now doing this big new thing. Like, I'm going to pray. I don't know, whatever, like we want to add new things to our list because that's a challenge, you know, like what's the next level up? It's like, no, no, no. How do I just live authentically and consistently this life of the Christian? That's what fosters perfection and holiness in our lives. This is St. Thomas or St. John Newman says this. Um, so like, yeah, living, going, whatever, going to mass regularly on Sundays. If you can make it more during the week, great. If you can't, not the end of the world. Um, 
but prayer every day, entering into silence, bringing yourself to God each and every morning, every night, offering yourself to him. Um, like that's the consistency that is demanded of us. Like, how do I make everything oriented towards, towards God? Um, it doesn't have to look like a big deal. It could look ins- insignificant, but that's you becoming meager and weak so that God can become stronger in your life and can work his, his fruitfulness in there. Head on, dude. Head on. Yeah, so for my fellow imposter syndrome sufferers, welcome to the club. It's, it's <laughs> a fun one to be in sometimes, not so fun in the other days. For all my fellow people who feel like hypocrites at times, again, welcome to the club. You'll probably feel like that the rest of your life, but <laughs> just keep fighting the good fight. We meet on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. in the lower, in the lower Dolan Center. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see you guys there next time. You know, Me and John will be there, probably just the two of us. But okay. Bring your own drinks. Cookies will be provided. Yes, they will be by John. Um, But yeah, that wraps us up. Again, please pray for us. Um, Lord knows we need it. Um, We'll be praying for you guys as well. Feel free to reach out to us with any specific prayer intentions that you need or with any just topic ideas or just to get to know John and I maybe better if you're interested by our goofiness. Uh, Our email is thecatchcc at gmail.com. But that's all we got today, folks. Have a good week. See you guys later. See you soon.